Hey, welcome to Active Lab, official podcast of Active San Gabriel Valley. And today I'm really excited to be joined by Wen Lee and Chris Stratton. Over the past four years, Wen and Chris have transformed their Temple City residence from a typical suburban ranch house to a model sustainable home, a process that they've chronicled in their blog, frugalhappy.org. In 2018, Active SGV led a community ride during Earth Month that featured a tour of their home. Um, which at the time was very much a construction site. And now that they're all done with the renovation and have had some time to recover, we're really excited to have you join us and share a little bit about how it went. So when and Chris, I was reading that about 25% of homes in the U.S. are all electric. Uh, however, most homes in California are dual fuel, uh, which just means that they rely both on gas and electric power. When you started your renovation project in 2016, not a lot of people in the San Gabriel Valley were electrifying their homes. What sparked your desire to do this project? Well, I had a background in, in building science, and so I was, I was familiar with sort of the downsides of having natural gas in your home from a health perspective. And also everyone's probably aware of the downsides from a climate change perspective of um, using natural gas, or some people are calling it fossil gas these days. So that was the big impetus. And also the, just the opportunity to, to learn on a hands-on project. I've done a lot of theoretical work, and this was an opportunity to do some of the work myself on a real, a real home. And when for you, was it just like, oh, that sounds cool? <laughs> or was it something you had actually you'd thought about previously? Well, yeah, both, uh, both Chris and I are very passionate about the environment and doing everything we can to slow down climate change. This house is actually my childhood home. Um, I grew up here with my mom and my brother, so I really love this house. My, my mother passed away a few years ago and, and left the house to us, and it just seemed like a really big opportunity to take this home that I really love and transform it into a, a high-performance um, all electric house uh, to serve as a model to the community to show that it can be done and, and how great it is. And so, I mean, it took y'all a couple years from start to finish to do the project. From when you moved back in or, or growing up in the house, how do you feel it, it's really changed after all the improvement? Yeah, the, uh, the house is just sort of like a typical suburban house. It was uh, built in the 60s got three bedrooms, got two baths. It's kind of a standard house. But I, I do remember growing when I was growing up, you know, here in Southern California, the summers are, get pretty hot and um, the walls were not insulated. And so I remember the summers being super hot. And then in the winter, it was super cold. And my mom was really frugal. We like never turned on the heat or the AC. So we were just like, you know, we would just sweat or we would just put on lots of jackets. <laughs> But um, the, the house is very different now. Um, from the outside, it looks the same, but so much has been changed on the inside. Something's more noticeable than others. And maybe, Chris, you can talk about the changes that you made. Probably the most noticeable change to the interior is the common area, the, the living room, dining, kitchen area. The ceiling is vaulted. So it's a much higher ceiling. It's a much more spacious um, feeling. There's a skylight in. It used to be really dark all the time, and now it just feels like a much bigger space, even though on paper the, the square footage is the same. So that's like not an environmental renovation so much as an aesthetic and pleasantness 
aspect. Right. It's more of an experiential thing, but I, I, I'm still glad we did it. it. It just changed the space dramatically. And in terms of energy consumption and, and comfort and home performance and, and health and all that stuff, we changed every system of the house. So all the appliances that have gone that were, that were gas are now electric. That includes for space conditioning, we have a heat pump system for heating and cooling. And because we insulated and air sealed what is called the building envelope, so that's the, the thing that separates the inside from the outside. So that's the walls, the ceiling, the foundation. Because we, we sealed that and insulated it so well, we could downsize our furnace and our air conditioner dramatically by less than half. And so that was a lower initial cost and it's also a lower operational cost and it's more comfortable. Yeah, I like to joke that Chris turned our house into a giant styrofoam box because that's pretty much what it's become. Like he opened up all the walls and, and stuffed all this insulation in and it looks like styrofoam. It's not styrofoam. It's called a, what's called? Polyisocyanurate or just polyiso. Polyisocyanurate. Google it. <laughs> anyway, it's a foam-like material and all the walls have it in it. The attic has um, insulation in it and also the the floor of the uh, the house has also been insulated. So we're like a big styrofoam box, which if you think about it, if you put hot food in a styrofoam box or cold food in the styrofoam box, it stays it stays that way. And so the house has been so much more comfortable now that um, the insulation has been put in. So do you find, for example, if it's cool in the evenings and it's hotter in the day, if you just let some cool in, air in, you can keep a steady temperature and don't even really need to use a lot of the, as much as the AC or the furnace, kind of vice versa? It was, we don't generally open the windows at all anymore. The house is always like 70 degrees year round year round like it's yeah. just always really comfortable there's almost no variation at all we, we go outside and we're like oh it's hot today or it's cold today we don't even notice sometimes <laughs> because we're inside it's kind of it's kind of bad sometimes when we say we don't let any outdoor air in that's not entirely true we have a system that provides continuous ventilation from outdoors but it has a heat exchanger in it so that uh, we're not paying a big energy penalty for doing that Right. So yeah, one of the, the issues um, with having a house that is so tight, um, meaning that it's insulated and it's air sealed, if you have a house that's really tight, then a new problem emerges, which is that there's no air coming in or out. And that's bad because um, you need to have fresh air coming into the house to breathe. <laughs> and so, uh, so Chris is talking about our ventilation system that was put in and this continuously um, circulates air in and out of the house. But when he says heat exchanger, it's this technology that makes it so that, you know, if it's uh, in the winter and the, the, the house is nice and warm, when you want the air to come in, instead of having being super cold like it is outside, the heat exchanger sort of tempers the air coming in so that it's warmer when it comes in. And the opposite happens in the summer so that you don't uh, have to, you know, crank up the heat or the AC to compensate for the new air coming in. It sounds like when you do that, when you insulate your home so well, the type of appliances are then even more important insofar as the indoor air quality. So if you would have kept some of the gas appliances and hyper-insulated the home, then you may have had more indoor air quality issues. Is, is that more or less correct? Absolutely. Yeah, that's a really big issue if, if you're going to, I mean, air, there's a differentiation between insulating and air sealing. Air, air sealing is really the thing that you want to be careful about because you're not letting 
fresh air get in and, and the pollution from the gas appliance get diluted by air. So if you're super uh, air sealing the house and you have gas appliances, that can be really dangerous, especially if the appliances are not well vented or, or older. Yeah, and if, if anyone's not familiar with air sealing, air sealing, it just means like sealing up all the cracks in the house. Um, so it's not enough to just insulate, like, you know, if you put like the styrofoam or the fluffy stuff in your walls, air can still get in and out. And so um, if you air seal as well, it's basically you take like a cock gun and you like seal up all the gaps. Sorry, I'm not using the technical terms. <laughs> no, no, layman's terms are welcome, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, many, many listeners, but... So we put a giant fan in the front door and sucked all the air out, and then we can feel where all the hip, the holes were, the the gaps were in the in the walls and the ceiling. Yeah, and we filled those. And Chris ran around with a cock gun and and started sealing where all the air was coming in. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, I don't I don't know if we actually like explained this, um, but we we did decide to do almost all the work ourselves instead of hiring out. And when I say ourselves, I mean Chris. Because <laughs> Chris did almost all the work himself. And I don't know, Chris, do you want to explain why you chose to do that instead of hiring? Uh, because I'm a masochist. <laughs> <laughs> Learn by doing, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm being glib. But no, this, this was this was an educational project from the outset. This was the opportunity for me to learn to, to do these things that I'd read about and asked other people to do. So it, it was a learning opportunity and it, it certainly was a success from that perspective. And we also saved a lot of money because um, when you do things yourself, you don't have to pay someone to do it. And it can be very expensive to hire professionals to come and do it. But, you know, on the flip side, it was the first time Chris had ever, you know, done some of these things. And so it took longer and that's why it did take a few years. I think it took uh, three years. Yeah, like about three years total from front to, uh, from beginning to end. And we were living in the house the whole time. So that was a very interesting experience as well. Yeah, but now Chris can say that he knows how to do all these things. He knows like carpentry and he can do insulation and he can do HVAC and he can do plumbing. And instead of going to school to learn all these things, he was just learning on our house. <laughs> Yeah, and I think the blog does such a wonderful job, too, of showcasing kind of some of the highs and lows of that process. So for those who really want to get a glimpse of what that looked like, definitely check out uh, the blog at frugalhappy.org. We have lots of photos. Lots Lots of of photos, which is really nice. (laughs) And I know some people were asking about uh, where, like, the, the final photos, because... I know you've all been busy, even though you finished the home, then you had a new project. (laughs) The baby? The baby. (laughs) Yeah, we have a new housemate. The baby that was born two weeks after the house was done? Yeah. I mean, that's not a coincidence. We rushed to get the house done before the baby emerged. (laughs) So anyone who's reading the blog and and notices that it stopped around that time, we apologize. And uh, we intend to to get caught up. But yeah, we should. Uh, there is there are some there are some like finished photos that you can see on the blog, um, and you did sort of this like overall timeline at the end. Yeah, I don't know if we mentioned this earlier, but we we also installed solar panels on the house, and so that was part of the 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 strategy of greening our house is to be able to power the whole house using our solar panels, 
and not needing to use natural gas or to use, you know, any kind of fossil fuels to power the house. Wow. I recall when we did our tour, we saw you already had the panels up and you were slowly transitioning the appliances out. So yeah, the panels were like the first thing we did. We just like, <laughs> we're getting solar panels. I was like, the, they were installed on Earth Day too, if I recall. So one of the things that we've been hearing, I know as more people are talking about electrification and this process is that there are concerns about using electric stoves. Some people may have been like me, grew up with an old electric coil stove that you know weren't always the most functional to work with. What's your experience been transitioning? Did, did you have a gas stove before? Yeah, I've also had a lot of experience growing up with, I think they're called electric resistance. They're really the ones that take a long time to heat up and a long time to cool down and they're just awful to use. So yeah, we had, we had a, a gas cooktop and a gas wall oven previously. And now we have an induction range. So that's an oven and a cooktop together. It's incredible. I, I can't describe it to, to people who haven't experienced it, but it's nothing like the electric resistance cooking that you used growing up. It's really fast, really precise. The surface doesn't get hot because it, it heats the, the pan directly through the power of magic and magnets. I don't know exactly, <laughs> but and it's really easy to clean because it doesn't get that hot. You don't get this caked on gunk that you have to scrub. It just it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, we I've cooked with gas my whole life and so at first I was a little skeptical of of induction, but it is it is a big change and it's it's a very positive change, right? Because um induction like Chris said uses the technology of like magnetism to heat the pan directly and so it's really efficient and it's super precise and it's fast. Like the first time we turned it on to boil water we were like so amazed how fast the water just started boiling. We're like, oh my God, it's boiling. Turn it off, turn it off. You know, it is a lot easier to clean and it's just flat. It's like flat. You know, if you have like gas um, cooktop, there's all these crevices and then there's like grease that gets burnt onto the little like metal parts. And our induction cooktop is just this like flat piece of glass. It is super easy to clean. I mean, the only negative is that not all pans and pots work with induction. They have to have iron in them, so you have to be able to stick a magnet on them. If you use aluminum, it doesn't work with induction. You just put it on there and it never heats up. So that's just one adjustment you have to make is to use stuff that's ferrous. So you may not be able to use all the pots with the stove, but it's, that's a really easy thing to get used to. I've heard it's also safer. So if you have young children, right. you, if you pull a pot off, the range won't stay as hot or it won't it won't continue heating if there's nothing on it right yeah we sometimes i mean we have a 14 month old now and sometimes we have her like strapped to the front of us while we're cooking and with induction we feel pretty safe doing that with gas i would definitely not do that or or electric resistance there's just no way yeah and like you were saying earlier west um when you have a very airtight house you really don't want any fire in the house because of the air pollution that comes like if we were cooking with fire there's just really bad things that come into the air when you're cooking uh with flames and then like if the heater was still gas and if our water heater was still gas there's just um all these sort of fumes that are not good to breathe and so i i feel like going electric 
not only makes sense from an environmental perspective, but also makes a lot of sense from a health perspective because the air that you breathe doesn't have the like really harmful stuff that comes from, from flames. If you have a rain shed, please use it. If, if, no matter what kind of stove or cooktop you use, please use the rain shed. A rain shed is the thing over your, your cooktop or range that removes the pollutants that are generated when you're cooking. And that is important because you're standing right next to them, inhaling the whole time. And it's one of the biggest uh, sources of indoor pollution, especially the fine particles that are, that are really bad for you, especially with gas cooking. So until you get that induction range, definitely use the range hood. And also the range hood when you have the induction range itself. We have a, we have a particle counter right next to our um, cooktop, right next to our stove, and um, we can monitor how things are going. Yeah, even with an induction cooktop, if we like are um, we're putting something in the frying pan, we can see on the particle counter that it like goes up and it's like the air is less good now. We're like, oh no, stop burning what we're cooking. <laughs> but yeah, the, the rain shed is the, the fan that's above the stove and I had never used it growing up because we thought it was really loud and obnoxious. But um, actually there's a really important reason why it's there and it's to suck out all the bad air that comes out when you cook. So. Yeah, I second what Chris just said. Yeah, that, I think that's really good advice. I know some colleagues uh, had been working with the community on trying to raise awareness about that because there are many people who have them but rarely use them. And I recall also just a couple of years ago, my family, we didn't always turn on the hood or now we still have a gas uh, stovetop and we'll crack the window and turn on the hood. So make sure that there's air coming in and the bad air is going going out especially after having young children there's surprisingly decades of research on the health impacts of gas appliances in homes and really really significant rates or increased risk of childhood asthma uh, in homes with gas appliances uh, particularly older homes that may not be well ventilated or where the appliances are older as well and more leaky so yeah, absolutely great, great advice. Thank you for, for sharing that. And we'll yeah. probably, maybe we can drop in the liner notes, uh, some of the research links to some of the research on that because it, it really is uh, significant. There's also the risk of, of carbon monoxide. If, if the burners aren't working properly, it's, it's scary. Combustion inside is bad news. So some of our listeners are always kind of looking for opportunities to adopt uh, more sustainable lifestyles. Uh, however, I think many of us aren't able to devote a couple of years of our life to doing or totally transforming our home at once. Uh, what would you say having gone through the process would be some of the, the low hanging fruit or what were, what would be like some initial steps someone could take at their home to transition off or wean themselves off of, so much gas, fossil gas. This is for homeowners, I assume? Yeah, presumably homeowners, or maybe if there's a renter who has a good relationship with the uh, landlord and you know, occasionally things break and maybe upgrades can be made or if they're doing a renovation. I, I think a decent place to start is a, a portable induction cooktop, just to get a, a sense of what that involves and what that's like. Um, it's a pretty low cost investment dip your toe into the water of going all electric. Yeah, so that's like a, a small sort of hot plate. It's not a hot plate, but anyways, you can buy it. It's got a plug. You plug it into the wall, and then 
it's enough to put like one pot on and it uses induction technology to heat the pot. So instead of using your stove top with gas, you can just plug in this induction cooktop on your countertop and, and cook on that. I mean, there's, 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 it's hard to know where to start. I, I guess trying to, it, it depends on what your inclinations and interests are, but I think trying to figure out where your biggest energy consumers are might be a good place to start as well. And, and not just energy consumption, but also um, carbon pollution generation. Yeah, so you might try to figure out what in your house is using the most energy and maybe where the, the lowest hanging fruit is. And you can buy like these watt meters, there's one called a kilowatt, where you can plug anything into it and it'll say how much electricity it uses. And you can leave it in, leave it in for like a day and then you can see how much accumulated energy like your fridge uses, for example, or something like that. But you can also look at your electricity bill, look at your house's energy use over time, um, your gas and uh, your your gas bill too, and you can see like which months you use the most energy, and then you'd be like, oh, this must be the air conditioning because every summer our bills go up so high, and so then oh maybe it's our AC. But anyway, um, yeah, there's ways to try to figure out what are the biggest energy hogs at your house. One one other thing I would say is that. Um things break right appliances break your your siding wears down over time has to be replaced i would just say look for those opportunities for for when things need to be replaced to spend the extra money to find the the person who can who can do a good job and and put in a really efficient replacement model and often that means maybe doing it before the end of its life because if you're if you're say replacing your water heater after it's already broken the, the, the likelihood of the, the plumber you just call having a, a super efficient heat pump water heater in the back of their truck is zero. So um, if it's getting close, then maybe take the time to take it out a little early and find that um, super efficient model. Yeah. And I think that it's, I mean, it's really hard to say like, what is like the easiest thing to do and give advice to everyone because every house is different. But I would say there's different like levels, like at the lowest level, the easiest things, some of the easiest things you can do is to like, you know, just switch out your light bulbs to LEDs. That's like the, like the first low tier maybe. And that does make a difference because lighting uses a lot of energy. It could be like changing out your shower head to a low flow. It could be like just behavioral things like being cognizant of when you leave things on, like turn things off at night, that kind of thing. The next level up, if you're like, if you want to like do more, maybe get a portable induction cooktop, like we were talking about before, or like change out the landscaping at your house so it doesn't use as much water, or maybe replace your, your air conditioner to a more efficient one. And this is like a little more costly to buy more efficient appliances. And then and then like, if you want to do even more, like I think insulation is a, is a really important thing. It just makes such a big difference. One of the most energy intensive things in the San Gabriel Valley is air conditioning. <laughs> you know, there's, it just gets so hot here in the summer. And so you don't have to insulate your whole house, but if you're able to, um, and Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think if you can insulate your attic, that makes a huge difference. And that's usually um, pretty straightforward. Like, you don't have to like open up any walls or anything. But I don't know, would you agree that the attic is the first place to insulate? Yeah, definitely the first place to start. And, yeah, and for folks who are kind of going through this process, you know, you're at the, I guess, the leading edge for, you know, someone who's doing the, the entire home. 
is are there did you find help with groups online or is there a network of people in the San Gabriel Valley or Southern California that trade notes on how to get to net zero or how to electrify their homes was that something that you kind of encountered at all it's a small community here but it does exist and it's growing there there's some passive house folks if people are familiar with passive house there's there's not a lot there's some home performance contractor companies down here but again not that many we had to to find some resources online that were not from this area in some cases isn't there like a facebook group called electrify everything yeah, I think there's some national, uh, it's not SGV specific, but there's like an electrification movement um, nationally, and there are Facebook groups and uh, websites. Are there any websites that you would recommend? I would recommend, uh, if you're wonk inclined, uh, it's called Green Building Advisor. They're, they're out of Vermont, I think. Greenbuildingadvisor.com, I think. GBA. And, and they, they're happy to answer questions from the, the simplest ones to the most complicated and elaborate ones. I found them extremely helpful. Well, that sounds awesome. I think we can include these all in the, the liner notes. So uh, folks are looking for some of these groups uh, and, and websites. Uh, I know I haven't been to a couple of the ones you mentioned and we'll be checking them out since uh, we still have a long way to go at, at our home. We are at time now. So I just wanted to thank you again for sharing a little bit of the wisdom you've gleaned over the last three years plus of this process. I'm really, really wonderful to hear how far you've come. And for those that want to see this, again, be sure to check out the blog, which is frugalhappy.org. And with that, uh, thank you again for listening to uh, this episode of Active Lab. You can stay in touch with us at, at ActiveSGV on social media. Thank you again to our Active SGV members who help support uh, this podcast and our work, as well as to our colleague, Daniel Zamora, for composing the intro music and editing this episode.